I want to invite the rest of us to open up our Bibles, to open up the Word of the Lord. We are in the Psalms. And we have been looking selectively at the Psalms, looking at particular themes as a way of, uh, of, of encountering different parts of different songs in this incredible hymnal. And we're, we've been looking at over these last few weeks the principle of the Sabbath through the Psalms. We all know, I hope, that in the beginning, the Bible tells us, and we believe, the Lord created the heavens and the earth and everything else. And then he rested. In response, we who are created in the image of God are instructed to observe the Sabbath, to honor our need for and the blessing of rest. Much later on, we'll recall the Lord God, through Moses, turned this simple instruction into a more explicit command. Not only observing, but keeping the Sabbath holy. And that has and forever will be a part of God's top ten. And yet, despite God's preparation, despite God's communication to us, we seem to have always managed to miss the point. Some turn the healthy prescription of the Sabbath into a legalistic one-set-day rule that oppresses, honestly, more than it renews. Others of us look for the loophole, the exception for avoiding the letter of the law, even as we deny ourselves the spirit behind this principle. Either way, the net result is the same. We live in slavery under the tyranny of the urgent. Thankfully, we have, as I said, the book of Psalms to reorient us. Today, as we close out our brief consideration of the Sabbath, we're going to be looking at Psalm 92. We're going to turn our ears to the word of this psalm. And while the composer of this piece, as you'll discover in just a moment, is unknown, he leaves us a word as to his purpose. You'll hear before the song song begins that it's a song for the Sabbath day. No other psalm gets that description. The last two psalms we looked at, Psalm 90 and 91, implicitly wrestled with the principle of the Sabbath. But Psalm 92 explicitly ties its message to the observance of the Sabbath. And there's much wisdom for us to glean through its beautiful lyrics. So I want to invite you again, if you have those Bibles open, to turn with me to Psalm 92. It's on 414. And please hear the word of the Lord. A song. A song for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord! How profound are your thoughts! The senseless man does not know. Fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, They will be destroyed forever. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. 
The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To begin with, please keep those Bibles open. According to Sabbath 92, to Psalm 92, engaging the Sabbath begins by praising the Lord. Worship is the context of the Sabbath, which, by the way, is why formal church services have been traditionally held on the day recognized as the Sabbath. Worship is the context of the Sabbath. But it's ironic, out of this tradition of formal church services being traditionally held on the day known as the Sabbath, out of this tradition, what what is supposed to be our default orientation towards God has become isolated now to a single day of worship, Sunday. But worship, as you hear just, just, just permeating out of this song, worship isn't just about a day. Our regular, our primary occupation, if you will, is to be living our lives in worship of God our Father. And in much the same way, the Sabbath is about more than the observance of a day. The Sabbath is a practice that emerges out of our daily worship of the Lord. You see, if we think that worshiping God is just about one day of the week, then the Sabbath becomes, as we often think of it, as just taking a day off, just taking a little vacation, taking a break. But here's the thing, from our work, from our agenda, from our busyness, the Sabbath becomes taking a day off, a vacation, a break from our work to give God his due. To praise the Lord, in other words, for what we've been able to do. And yet if we listen carefully, if you have it open in front of you, notice what the songwriter of Psalm 92 highlights for us. We worship the Lord. It is good, he writes, to praise the Lord for his work, not ours. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. God, our Father, surrounds us with wonders. His love and His faithfulness expressed through the work of creation, its order, its structure, its beauty, expressed through His work of provision, oxygen, food, water, forgiveness, healing, and salvation. Biblically, there's a single word, an idea that encompasses all of God's work, and it's the name of our church. That word is grace. God is good, and all of God's work is a reflection, an expression of his goodness. Life with all its blessings, the wonders of creation, the joy of his provision, the glory of his forgiveness, his healing and his salvation, it's all a gift. It is all grace. And the Sabbath is a time for joyful noise. Joyful noise, the Lord gives us breath gives us life, breath first to receive and then to exhale in praise day and night, to exhale in praise day and night, the goodness, the grace of God. We believe this. 
One of the most fundamental professions of our faith as Lutherans, as Protestants, one of the most fundamental professions of our faith is that we are saved by grace alone. But beloved, the truth is we live by grace alone. Not just our salvation, but our very existence is by grace alone. We forget this. Sometimes we even deny it. We forget this. Sometimes we even deny it. Think about how we think, how we speak. We talk, we talk, so many of us, we talk of working hard in order to make something of ourselves. We work hard in order to make something of ourselves. We believe in ownership. We pride ourselves on ownership. Think about how we think and speak of ownership. The basis of our ownership of anything is we worked hard for what we have. We worked hard for what we have. We deserve it. Not that we're blessed to receive it. We speak of resting. We speak of having some time off, of taking a vacation, but we speak of resting, of taking a vacation, of having some time off. When? When we've earned it. When we've earned it, think of how we speak. Think of how we act. The psalmist says this is foolish. The word he specifically uses is this is senseless. It's our failure to understand when we labor in order to rest. This is not living by grace. When we labor in order to rest, this is not living by grace. It's living by works, our own works, not the works of God. That's why the Sabbath was given not so much as an obligation, but as a gift. It's commanded to us because we forget how good God is, but it is always a gift, the grace of time to rest from what consumes us. And what consumes us? What consumes us? Our work. Think about it. May not be what you normally would think. What consumes us? Our work. Think about it. How much of our time, how much of our time has been, is consumed by our work, the hours we have to put in, the skills we need to acquire, the productivity we must maintain. Some of us love our work. We enjoy what we do. I love my job. I sincerely love my job. I love the people I get to work with. And most days, I can't wait to get to work. Maybe not today. But I love my job. And it's a blessing. If you're like me, it's a blessing to enjoy your job. It's as they say, nice work if you can get it. But beloved, if my love for my job, but in my love for my job, I can become so consumed by what I do, I have a hard time clocking out. I have a hard time powering down. I have a hard time appreciating the other aspects of my life. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much for us to become workaholics, does it? Where we're so addicted to what we do, we become so fixated on what we have or what we are accomplishing that we miss the bigger picture. We miss the work God is doing in our lives, in and through our family, our friends, and our other relationships. Beloved, the truth is, as good as our work can be, 
it can wear us out. It can wear us out if our love for or our drive to work eclipses our love and appreciation for the greater work God is doing. The grace at work in our lives. But then again, some of you may be sitting here saying, I don't love my job. That's great for those people. I don't love my job. And not everybody does love their job. Others of us aren't workaholics, per se. Some of us don't work out of love. Some of us work out of obligation to stay alive. And somewhere, you know, somewhere along the way in life, it, it hits us. Death doesn't take a holiday. And so neither can we. And we find ourselves laboring to survive. But even still, the demands of our work eventually overtake us, don't they? Despite all our perceived progress, be it our education, be it our work experience, even technology, we soon, all of us, at some point confront the sobering truth. All we are really doing is working ourselves into the grave. Beloved, God is concerned for our well-being as we fall into the obsessions and addictions of this world that come out of our work, we need to hear the word of God, the word that he speaks in the Ten Commandments when he says, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember, remember you were slaves in Egypt and God brought you out of there. That is why we rest from our labor. To show we belong to God and not our, way, our work. That is why the Sabbath is a gift of grace. It's proof. It is proof of our freedom from slavery, our slavery in earning or proving ourselves. My brothers and sisters, God gave us life, and our Father wants us to live. To live. He wants us to live not unto death, not to work ourselves into the grave. He wants us to live unto life eternal, to live out of the work he has done, the work he is doing through Jesus Christ in raising us up from the grave. And that is why in the New Testament, if you ever wondered, that's why in the New Testament, the specific day of the Sabbath now becomes the first day of the week instead of the seventh day of the week. The Sabbath no longer just commemorates God's creation of the earth. It commemorates the first day of a new creation. Our new life through the resurrection of Jesus. Our Father gives us these lives. He gives us these lives for a reason. Not just to survive, but to thrive. To thrive. The word repeatedly used by the psalmist. Again, if you have your Bibles open, you can't miss it. The word repeatedly used by the psalmist is the word flourish. Flourish. It's a beautiful word. Flourish. It means to prosper, to excel, to grow luxuriantly. God gives us these lives for a reason, not just to survive, but to flourish. Interestingly, though, we ought to notice the songwriter acknowledges two types of flourishing. First, early on, is the reality is acknowledged that some people, as we've already discussed, some people whistle and work to their own tune rather than praise the Lord. They measure their lives by the work of their hands, often getting ahead by preying upon others. 
And on the surface of things, they appear to succeed. They appear to flourish. And by our own observation and experience, we can say we've observed this is true. And based on this, based on the psalmist saying it, based upon our own observation and experience, you might, the question might naturally rise in us, if that's true, then why bother with the Sabbath at all? Why should we praise the Lord? But again, if we pay attention, the songwriter answers, this is foolishness. This is a grave misunderstanding on our part. While wicked and evil people often seem to prosper, appearances can be deceiving. Their perceived success is temporary. Their growth is not sustainable. They and the work of their hands, the songwriter declares, are like grass. And I think it's instructive for us to reflect on that image for a moment. Grass, fresh, clean, cut grass. It looks good. It's inviting, right? You're walking your dog, you're driving through a neighborhood, you see fresh, clean, cut grass. It catches our attention. It suggests a well-kept yard and probably a well-kept home. And grass gets the benefit of the light, the light and the power of the sun. Grass gets the benefit of the nutrients of the soil and the sustenance of the rain. But ultimately, what is grass good for? Walking on or laying on at best. Despite its appearance, the utility of grass is marginal and the shelf life of it is minimal. Eventually, grass withers and dies. It withers and dies, by the way, without producing more grass. You want new grass? Start from scratch. Beloved, what the psalmist is trying to help us to understand is that on our own, by just the work of our hands, we are like grass. We benefit from the same grace as everyone else, our basic needs, maybe even a little miracle grow. No, that was bad. <laughs> we benefit from the same grace as everyone else, and things in our life can look good. Things in our life can look vibrant, verdant, and appear healthy. But our look, our appearance, is all we have to offer. Our roots remain shallow. Our growth limited to a couple of inches. Gradually, our color begins to fade. Patches or gaps begin to show. What looked like flourishing proves to be nothing but a season. And eventually we die leaving nothing behind, nothing to show, except a tombstone. It's a pretty grim picture, isn't it? It's a pretty grim picture, but it's an accurate one if what we profess to believe is true. If only God is good, and if we are broken, if we are separated from God because of sin, and sin being our default tendency towards rebellion and rejection of the Lord, if only God is good, and if we are broken, separated from God by sin, and if apart from God we can do nothing, then nothing we do on our own is good. Nothing we do on our own is good. Nothing we do apart from God endures. If all that is good 
all that matters, all that endures is grace. If it's all by the work of God's hands, then we cannot truly flourish apart from God, apart from grace. And that's why the psalmist almost emphatically says, for only the Lord is forever exalted. So why should we praise the Lord? Why should we bother with the Sabbath at all? Because by the grace of God, in receiving and observing the gift of the Sabbath, we become free to sing, to come to know deep in our bones that God is our rock. God is the foundation upon which we are built, upon which we grow. And to fully appreciate the truth of this declaration, the psalmist gives us a contrasting image to being like grass. To catch it at the very end of the song, the contrasting image to being like grass when the psalmist sings, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Those who rest in the work of the Lord are like trees, the songwriter says. Trees are symbolic of of enduring life and fertility, particularly, by the way, the trees alluded to in this song. Palm trees are even more vibrant when they're trimmed. The cedars of Lebanon were legendary trees of antiquity, known for their height and durability. These were the trees cut to build the temple in Jerusalem. Trees, when we walk through neighborhoods, when we drive through, trees have this way of catching our attention, right? They catch our attention, but in so doing, they offer us so much more than their looks. In contrast to the grass, the growth of a tree is impossible to miss, isn't it? Trees grow taller and wider. They grow both vertically and horizontally. With their tremendous heights, trees invite us. They invite us to climb them. And in so doing, to receive a new point of view. Often with their great density, trees enable us to build homes and shelters for protection or bridges to cross great distances. And of course, we know that the real strength of a tree is not determined by its outward appearance. The real force behind the girth The perseverance of a tree is in its roots. The deeper and wider and more pervasive the root structure, the harder the tree is to bring down. And as the psalmist explicitly declares, all trees grow with an aim towards multiplication. Whether they lead to the rise of new trees or some delicious bounty for our mouths to enjoy, all trees are fruitful. We Resting in the work of God, the grace of God, are to be like trees, rooted in Christ, relying on the power of the Spirit, feeding off the grace of God. We are to be like trees. We are to grow. We are to mature. We are to be fruitful. Paul talks about this kind of growth in his letter to the Ephesians when he says, hear these words maybe differently than you've heard them before. When Paul writes, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. Later in that same letter, Paul goes on to talk of us reaching unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And if you don't know this, look through many of Paul's letters. There's multiple times in his letters where Paul speaks about those who belong to Jesus bearing fruit in every good work. Here's one example from a letter he writes to the Romans. Paul says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. 
In his letter to the Galatians, we learned this in Sunday school, many of us, Paul specifically lists the qualities of this fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. We are meant to grow, to mature, to be fruitful by the grace of God. Do we believe this? Not a word. Amen. Thank you. Good. But I, again, I don't think we believe this. I think practically, in our day-to-day -day lives, we don't believe this. That sounds great, but we don't believe this. Think about it. And I mean this with all respect, with all appreciation. We talk of, of, of certain people. We talk of Augustine. We talk of our own Martin Luther. We talk of someone like Jonathan Edwards, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. We have certain people we talk of, and we, we speak of them as being spiritual giants. Those are spiritual giants. By the way, you never hear anyone called spiritual grass, by the way. Man, they're spiritual grass. They're spiritual giants. We talk about people like that as spiritual giants with all respect and all appreciation. I mean, no disservice to any of them. We talk about them, here's my point, as spiritual giants as if such growth, maturity, and fruitfulness in Christ were to be the exception rather than the rule. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because this is in contrast to what is being sung by the psalmist here in Psalm 92. The picture here in Psalm 92, and honestly throughout the Bible, is that a tall, strong, and fruitful tree is the image that God envisions for all who belong to him. Beloved, in other words, we are created to be spiritual giants. Now I'm getting an amen. But some of us are still kind of going, well... I assume we are all familiar with a type of tree known, known as a bonsai tree. Yes? Bonsai tree? If you don't know what that is, go rent the Karate Kid, the original one, not the remake. <laughs> bonsai tree. Bonsai trees, if you're not familiar with them, are these trees that are deliberately kept small. Hear that. They're deliberately kept small. Okay? They are not allowed to grow. You have to do all kinds of things to keep bonsai small. They are not like that naturally. Many of us think that spiritual giants are the exception rather than the rule. Most of us perceive ourselves and are content to be spiritual bonsai. Beloved, where are we restricting our growth in Christ? What kind of things are we doing? What kind of things are we allowing to be done in our lives that are keeping us small, stunted, static, barren, rather than growing, maturing, and being fruitful? Are, are they ways of thinking, habits of speech, practices in our daily lives? Are we, is it things like saying, you know what, I decide what I can do. I decide what I can do, and I'll tell you what, I decide what I will do. I'll never, no, no, I'll never be able to do that. No, no, I'm not smart enough. No, no, I'm not strong enough. No, you know, I'm not experienced enough. By the way, it's interesting to read through Scripture, all the people we encounter, all the people, by the way, that we by the call consider spiritual giants, that at one point in their life, they thought they were spiritual bonsai too. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not experienced enough. And God didn't say, yes, you are. He said, no, you're not. But through my grace working in you, you can be. You will be. We are created to be spiritual giants. 
As followers of Jesus, we are not meant to be spiritual bonsai. We are meant to flourish and to grow throughout our lives. Our faith, our wisdom, and our joy should increase and mature. Our love and compassion for other people should grow richer and deeper. Our hope in God's future should become more intense. And explicitly said by the psalmist, and this was a, this was a, a better hand to play in the first service rather than this one, but it still works. Our fruitfulness should not wane with age and time. I've hit this many, many times, but now it's right here and I can't ignore it. One of the most fundamental things we say in this picture of growing, maturing, and being fruitful is I'm too old. Some of you, you're not there yet. Trust me, you'll get there. Others of you are living there right now. I'm too old. And yet notice right there, the psalmist describes the person rooted in God's grace to be a tree that is fresh, green, and what? Still bearing fruit in old age. By the way, old age in the time when this, this psalm was written was somewhere after 50. So if you were 50, you were old. But you could still be productive and green, still full of sap, and pointing to the Lord, the source of all life. Many of you are full of sap. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you're pointing to the Lord. <laughs> Being old physically, and if you're young, hear this, store this for later. Being old physically doesn't mean we have to shrivel up and die spiritually. No, like Paul. Paul will write that he's wasting away outwardly. And yet as he's wasting away outwardly, he says inwardly he's being renewed day by day. We can still be full of spiritual vitality. We can still bear fruit for the kingdom. How? How do we bear fruit for God? The psalmist answers this question for us as well. We ought to notice in the song that the trees he describes, by the way, don't just spring up anywhere. Notice what he writes, what he sings. They are planted where? In the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. We have been deliberately placed in an environment where we can flourish. The presence of our Father, the life of Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit. We are being cultivated so that the roots of our faith grow deeply from a divine nutritional source that is never exhausted. And that nutritional source, again, is grace, the grace of God. In other words, the miracle of a tree is really the miracle of our lives in Christ. I, I may have mentioned this in a sermon a while ago, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but this is like one of these things I always pull out with students, and some, if some of the students are here, they may even remember this. Students will get, like adults, sometimes fixated on miracles. I don't see any miracles. God's really real. Why doesn't God do some miracles? I'd like to see a miracle. And I will always stop when a student asks for a miracle, and I'll say, you want a miracle? I got a miracle for you, and I'll point to a tree. And I'll go, can you make one? And at first they'll look at me, and then it kind of sinks in. I'm serious. If anyone asks you to prove that God does miracles, point them to a tree and ask them, can you make one of those? If we plant a tree, if we water the tree, if we make sure it has the sun and space it needs, even then we can't make the tree grow. God uses us to help in the process, 
But the seed, the sprout, the first shoots, the first needles, the photosynthesis, the roots drawing water out of the soil, all of it is the marvelous, wondrous, miraculous work of our God. And it's all grace. In much the same way, I can't become a big tree on my own. If Pastor Chris purposes himself to become a spiritual giant, good luck with that. I can't grow in this way. I can't mature in this way. I can't bear fruit like this in my own strength, in my own power. But by the grace of God, thanks to the love of Jesus and through the work of the Holy Spirit, I am the little cedar that could. I am the little cedar that could. And so are you. And so are you. In the Gospel of John, Jesus puts it this way. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Beloved, being fruitful isn't about our effort or work. It's about God's. Being fruitful isn't about doing the right things. It's the result of abiding, living in deepening, growing relationship with Jesus. Out of the roots of that relationship, by the work, the grace of God, the love of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, life comes. God, think about it. Think about our journey of faith. Think about it. If you've never thought about where you are now, how you got to where you are, think of it. God speaks his word, and by his spirit, he creates faith in us. God works through the sacrament of baptism to seal that faith in us, if you will, to root us in that faith. And then God works repeatedly through the sacrament, the meal of Holy Communion, to strengthen and grow our faith. Through works, Paul writes, please listen, through works, Paul writes, God has prepared in advance for us to do. The Lord harvests the fruit of the Spirit that we were just talking about in and through our lives. God uses us to help the process, but it's fundamentally about abiding, resting, yielding to the work the Lord is doing in and through our lives. So what if I'm not flourishing? What if I'm not thriving like a healthy tree? What if I'm, I'm not fresh or green? What if there's no growth spiritually? What if there's no fruit? This is where the analogy of being like a tree breaks down a little bit. It is Jesus alone who makes us alive spiritually. It is by grace alone we are empowered to mature and bear fruit. But unlike a tree, we are not entirely passive in this process in this growth process. The very fact that the Sabbath is a command to rest, the very fact that Jesus instructs us to abide in him implies we must respond. Our participation is in the work God is doing is necessary. Again, Jesus puts it this way. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. My command is this. Love one another as I have loved you. This is my command, love one another. If we're not growing, if we're not maturing, if we're not bearing fruit, we need to check our roots. Where are we drawing our life from? The work of our hands or the grace of God? 
Are we living like the grass? Are we living like the grass, growing wild and unwieldy on our own? Living like the grass means treating the Sabbath like a trim we need. We show up for God to mow our lawn. Some of us, some of us have even gotten so consumed with our work and our own effort, we don't even live like, we don't even live like the grass. We try to live without the sun. We try to live without the rain and the air. We exist like artificial turf, looking very colorful, but ultimately being fake. When our roots are connected to the right source, we look different. Our thoughts, our emotions, our lives are different. There's growth, there's maturity, there's fruit. And once again, we live by the grace of God, but we abide in that grace that brings us into this world and saves us to endure into the next. We abide in that grace through practices. They don't save us. They don't save us, but it's our way of responding to the grace that God keeps pouring into our lives. We do the same things, practices, week after week, and those things make a difference. They cut a groove, they establish a rhythm. And there are rhythms of grace, and there are rhythms of work. And, and the person who blows in here, the person who blows in here every once in a while, the person who opens up their Bible once in a blue moon, the person who prays before meals and in case of emergencies only, the person who expects, in just doing that, a one-time growth spurt, a sudden rise in maturity, a bumper crop of fruit, is going to be disappointed. They're going to be disappointed, and they're going to be disappointed not because the grace of God is not sufficient. Hear that again. They're not going to be disappointed because the grace of God is not sufficient. They're going to be disappointed because it takes a while for the good news of God to sink in. It takes repeated exposure to the light of our salvation in Christ. It takes continued watering by the blood, sweat, tears of his forgiveness. It takes regular nourishment by word and sacrament and ongoing cultivation through worship and service for us to be grown by God, not by ourselves, by God, from a seedling into a big tree, from a small, weak branch into a cedar of Lebanon. Beloved, we are in the presence of our Father. This is, as we sing, our Father's world. And our Father is in the business of taking seedlings and making them into strong, huge, fruitful, spiritual giants. By the work of God's hand, through the love of Jesus Christ, the wood that fashioned the cross, the cross that declares our death sentence becomes the seed that grows into the tree of life. Life eternal. By the grace of God, we grow. We mature. We bear fruit. This is the truth of the Sabbath. And as the psalmist has pointed us true to, it is a truth. It is a rhythm embedded in the cycle of creation itself. And it's a rhythm that calls to us. It's a rhythm that we must abide in through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my fellow spiritual giants in the making, by the grace of God in a world, a world that moves too fast, let us learn together how to read the music of creation. Let's devote ourselves when we gather together like this to really, truly praising the Lord 
And let that praise rise out of thoughtful attention and long consideration to the faithfulness of God in the particularity of our lives. Do I still have it? That's just a fancy way of pointing to this. A tool. But we can come and we can move our lips. We can say words we know. But nowhere in the midst of the grace that God continues to pour in our lives do we actually give any thoughtful attention or long consideration to the faithfulness of God in the particularity of our lives. And that's the thing. That's abiding. Because it's out of the freedom that comes out of this awareness. This awareness that God brings to our attention. The thankfulness comes. Gratitude. True praise rises. And out of that praise, out of that gratitude, that's how we rest. We rest in gratitude. We rest first. And out of that rest, we are empowered. Out of that rest, we are nurtured, nourished, to become the spiritual giants we were created and redeemed to be, growing, maturing, and bearing fruit, working out of the grace of God. I look around, and I see the potential. It's not my potential, it's not your potential, it's the potential of God's promise, the potential of God's grace, of an orchard. We don't need any more grass. We need trees. Beloved, let us become, by the grace of God, the spiritual giants we were created and redeemed to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.